0: Find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. We were at a special event, which was the Coxie Space Day. There we had the chance to talk to a great variety of different people and talk about their fields of interests, may they be students or professors. We talked about various aspects of Cognitive Science, such as neuroscience, linguistics, philosophy or artificial intelligence and many more. All the interviews were kept rather short, and another exception of our bonus episodes will be that not only Sönk and me are hosting, but also our two amazing producers, Alina and Sophie, and both will jump into this role of being an interviewer. So stay curious and tune in. Our guest right now is Dr. Annette Hohenberger. She is a, prof- or she's a lecturer in neuropsychology at the University of Osnabrück, and we are very pleased to have you here today. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> So, the structure of today's interviews are going to be a bit different to our normal structure. However, we still start with our introduction game um, and have one sentence we would like you to finish. Um, The sentence is, as a kid, I always wanted to be... A farmer. A farmer. (laughs) Yes. Did Mm -hmm. you grow up in an urban area or... Um no,
1: actually, I grew up in a middle sized um, city, but we always went on vacation ah. uh, to uh, southern Bavaria and there was always a farm where we went and uh, I loved the work there, I loved the animals and uh, that made obviously such a big impression on me that <laughs> I wanted to be a farmer when I was little that's
0: these are you still um
1: enjoying animals or absolutely yeah <laughs> okay. I'm enjoying nature and um all Kinds of creatures, including humans, of course.
0: <laughs> that brings us to your field of interest. I've already indicated that you're in cognitive neuropsychology. Mm-hmm. Um, if we would ask you to explain your field of interest to a child maybe age 10, 12, which would be the simple or most simple way to do so? Mm-hmm. So um
1: I have a diversity of interests. So um I have to be a little bit selective now, but maybe uh, I could say I'm interested in how children develop Mm -hmm. um, because it's about um, how their minds grow and how they change and It's very exciting to see how in the beginning um, they they can do uh, little things, although they are already very smart and they are much smarter than we think. And I'm particularly interested in how their language grows um, from first cries to really full-fledged sentences and narratives. And um, I'm interested in um, how they understand that, other people are acting intentionally with a goal. So not only see that they are moving around, but uh, that they have a goal and uh, want to um, affect something in the world. These are just two um, parts, but maybe that's uh, enough for the beginning.
2: Yeah. All right. Um, Can you maybe um, say us when you first started having an interest in this topic? Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's, Something I think a lot of people have not really thought about, maybe, or maybe if they have a child, then they see how it develops. Mm-hmm. But um, is there something that sparked the interest for you?
1: Um, yes. First it was intellectual curiosity because mm. when I studied I did not have children yet. They came a little bit later. So I do have two children and I also do have two grandchildren already whom I am observing how they speak and uh, how their language uh, develops. But in the beginning it was really more an academic curiosity. So I started um, studying psychology actually at the Frankfurt uh, University. and But I knew already from very early on that that was not my only interest uh, because i really i have a variety of interests and after my pre diploma i um, took on a second major which was linguistics so uh, i was kind of interdisciplinary from um, my first um, study um, times onwards and i could not have done otherwise because one topic would not have been sufficient uh, for me so i I took on these two majors and then graduated uh, in both. And I did my PhD then in um, linguistics, actually about a topic of language development. Mm,
0: just because I always feel like when it comes f- or when it starts with a scientific interest and then comes to more personal matters when you have mm-hmm. own children, for example, did, do you think the way that or the fact that you've had knowledge about the development on a theoretical basis had, had a impact on how you also observed your children or now grandchildren?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's true. So when when I then had my children, which was actually in the time when I was doing my PhD, which is maybe
0: (laughs) not the best
1: timing, but uh, anyway, I was intentive attentively observing how they spoke and I actually took many notes, so so I don't have um, a real big corpus, although I took some um, um, audio clips as well, Uh, but uh, I made a big... um, So I had a language diary where I wrote down um, what they said and what was uh, noteworthy and um, I also have uh, in those times collected uh, speech errors of children because language production how we um, yeah how we produce language uh, that's also an, another interest of me between psychology and uh, linguistics and um, speech errors are involuntary slips of the tongue uh, that you are doing yeah so the most popular speech error in children is actually mommy daddy so they address mommy with daddy and daddy with mommy so they just exchange the words but there are many uh, others as well and i was meticulously noting down the speech errors of both of my children in the beginning and i think i have the biggest speech error collection in the entire world (laughs) (laughs) which is waiting uh, to be um, analyze. So when I'm when I will be retired in um, some time, uh, then my goal is to really analyze this um, corpus. It has more than many thousands of entries, actually.
0: So you basically noted down each uh, time you noticed a new yeah. speech error. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you know how much or how many um, errors did you you collected?
1: Um, well, well, I, I guess it, it must be more than thousands. So it was also over time. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I had two children, so I collected from both of them. Um, so it's a big treasure on which I'm sitting. <laughs> but at the moment it's inactive. But maybe at some point in time I would like to come back to that big treasure.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. I think that's something that like no study that is done in the lab or anything similar can really reproduce. That's something that is very... I guess specific mm-hmm. then to 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 your case. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think every parent could in fact uh, create such a library, but Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess nobody yeah. does.
1: Yeah, and, and since I knew that this is valuable data, um I really uh, took uh, the effort and time to write it uh, down and of course my children noticed it, it and uh, then <laughs> I had situations where my daughter um, um realized that she had made a slip, yeah. <laughs> she was um she was addressing a bird wrongly. She wanted to say meise, which is titmouse, but she said um, colibri, which is hummingbird. Yeah. So, and then she noted it and said, um, um, I said wrongly, mommy must write down now. Yeah. <laughs> that's really
2: cute. <laughs> yeah. You already mentioned that you had a lot of different interests, academic interests, and I think that's very. Um, typical for the cognitive science student at our university. Um, Is that maybe one reason why you ended up at this institute?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, So the nice thing about cognitive science is that it's really an interdisciplinary field. So um, it's not just psychology and linguistics, which are my most um, overlapping uh, fields, but as you know, there is anthropology, there's philosophy, neuroscience, um, computer um, science um, as well. And um, that's the area where I really feel like a fish in the water and that I would like to, that I enjoy um, exploring. Um, And I have done so um, over the course of my academic development as well. So I was working in uh, linguistics, but also in um, psychology. And um, so um, after my PhD, which I did in Frankfurt on uh, language acquisition in, in linguistics, um, I stayed on there and I worked in a project on sign language, also um, slips of the hand. So there mm. are um, production errors also in sign language. And although they look differently because they are committed with the hands yeah, and also with the body, um, their linguistic structure is pretty um, similar to what we know from spoken um speech um, errors so i was on a project there and then um i went to munich to the max planck institute for human cognitive and brain sciences and that was more um cognitive um uh, related work there also on on children how they develop an understanding of goal directed actions that we do things intentionally and um after that um project um i then went abroad um i lived and worked for 12 years in Turkey in Ankara at Middle East Technical University, which has um, a very beautiful and not too big but very vibrant um, cognitive science uh, department in the Informatics Institute. So I was working there and that was my first position in cognitive um, science and from there Some five years ago I came to Osnabrück and again um, it was my desire to stay in the field and um, that is what happened and I'm very glad to be here.
0: Uh, Like You've mentioned that you had quite a long history in cognitive psychology and Mm -hmm. all the fields. Are there recent findings that really struck you or where you thought, wow, that's surprising to me or Mm -hmm. is a really hot topic at the moment? Um, yeah, um, so maybe
1: I can uh, relate to that long-standing um, connection that I still have with my Turkish uh, students, with whom I also um, published papers on cognitive development and... Um, There's this wonderful project that I had um, with my uh, doctoral student, who is now um, a postdoc um, already, uh, Gökhan Gönül, um, from uh, Turkey, and uh, his dissertation was about uh, tool use and tool innovation in children. So how they use um, tools, may that be a spoon for um, scooping up um, um, some food, or may it be more intricate um, uh, tools, and um, since children from very early on, um, less than one year of age, use tools already quite skillfully. Um, Everybody thought that it's easy for children also to innovate tools, to come up with a new tool if you pose a problem to them. Um, And one standard task is the so-called hook task, where you can imagine you have a tall jar. Sorry that people now cannot see it very well. So if, if there is a tall jar, yeah, and at the bottom of the tall jar is a little bucket with a sticker inside, the bucket has a handle, yeah, but you cannot reach into the jar. And the problem for the child um, um, is to find a way to get the bucket out of the tall jar. And uh, then you give them certain material, for example. Um, um, a thread, is a string, uh, which is bendable but it's too wobbly. Yeah, so you cannot really reach um, uh, inside and and get um, the bucket out. Um, and you also uh, give them um, a pipe cleaner. Um, I hope you know what that is. Yeah. It's bendable. Um, it's flexible, but it is strong. Yeah, and um, but it's it's straight. So the child has to figure out of which of these materials I can make a, um, a tool that is suitable for reaching inside the jar and getting that bucket out. And of course the um, the cognitive um, challenge is that they have to deform the pipe cleaner into a hook. Yeah, So they have to bend a hook and then with the hook reach mm-hmm. inside and grab the handle of the bucket, get it out and get the sticker. Okay. And since this is Something that we as adults can do very easily. And even some animals can do it. So mm-hmm. there are big brained birds like, um, Caledonian crows or rooks, um, that, um, are known to be able with their beak to, to bend, um, a wire into a hook and then, um, do that task. Yeah. So the idea was that children should be able to invent such a tool, but it turned out they are not which is um, has been replicated many times. Um, and it takes them to be like six or seven years of age to mm-hmm. um, have an understanding of how to impose their idea of a hook if they have if they have generated this idea onto this material and then um, operate uh, the hook on the problem. So um, and what we found out or what what Gökhan ma- mainly uh, found out was, uh, that actually um children cannot do it very well spontaneously but um if you show them um either the ready-made hook um or how to do it they can learn from social learning yes. and uh, that is um something that is like a um it, it gives the, the ability to learn from other people through imitation through understanding what they are doing and um doing it, repeating it um, themselves, um, we can solve problems in a much easier way as if we had to innovate it again yeah so this social learning that really speeds up um, development um, a lot and that is something very typical of us humans because we are ultra social beings yeah there is no other species that collaborates um, so much as we uh, do and uh, therefore this social learning um, has such a big um, impact and when I realized that I was really um, struck um, by it. We had other findings as well, for example, that two children who collaborate together also find uh, the solution earlier um, as if each of them works on their own. And that's a natural situation for yeah. humans um, anyway. So we are not um, solitary beings, yeah. but we are constantly um, working together with other people. And that is something that makes us smart.
2: Yeah. Is there something that, is missing in the children or is there a word for it because i would first assume that maybe there's like creativity missing but then again probably um children are always associated with a certain kind of creativity um so is there is it just a lack of um, functional understanding, or is there? Do we know what mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. causes this? Yeah, um, that's
1: a very uh, good question. And many many experiments have been done to figure out what is actually missing. Yeah, and um, they do have creativity. That's for sure. <laughs> um, they they are smart as well. So if you give them the ready made hook uh, or tool, any tool, um, then they would be able to do it. Um, it's more how to piece. Those pieces of knowledge together to get the whole action, which has several steps. Yeah, first conceived in your mind and then um, kind of project it on the material so that you can form it and shape it, change it um, to your needs. Yeah, it's more the combination of it. And and think of it; these problems are mostly um, ill-posed problems, so they don't. You see the the end or you know what the end result should be to get that bucket out, but you have a kind of ill-defined um pathway to it. Yeah. So it's not an algorithm if you do this and then and so so on, then you automatically get there. Yeah, you have to figure it out. And that is the challenge of innovation, which is challenging for, for everybody, but for children in particular, because they have to piece these um this knowledge um together
0: especially some bits of knowledge might even be missing, which are quite obvious to an um, adult human, because for Mm -hmm. me it would be super obvious to use a hook to get Mm -hmm. something out of Mm -hmm. another object. But if I've never seen anyone doing it, I wouldn't know that people Mm -hmm. do that in that way.
1: Yeah, exactly. So what Gökhan also uh, investigated and found out is that the children have an idea what kind of tool would be needed. So if if he when he let them gesture what kind of tool would be appropriate they would gesture something like like a hook mm-hmm. but still <clears throat> having that representation which is something cognitive in their mind to impose it on that material and see okay i can i can use the affordance of that pipe cleaner to bend it um, that's not trivial yeah, yeah. And, and they have to figure that out and then um, they have the solution
0: yeah you've already mentioned your connections to Turkey in general. Is there any scientist or any person people might know you find really interesting and you would love to have a chat with maybe drink a cup of tea and just Mm -hmm. kind of learn what they are currently doing, seeing Mm -hmm. and discuss topics with them? Mm -hmm. Um, There are certainly
1: uh, lots of people (laughs) with whom I would like to do that. Um, It is not particularly uh, from one country, um, I would say, but maybe um i would like to um have a cup of tea with uh, nicolas um turk brown because um he is that kind of person who really brings uh, areas together and shows that there are uh, that there is overlap between um disciplines and that's uh, for me the core of cognitive science and when i read his papers uh, i always get um the the impression that that's exactly what we have to do. So he's a cognitive um, neuropsychologist and the paper that uh, inspired me a lot um, is entitled Babies and Brains, where he showed that um, a methodology that we use a lot in in cognitive development, which is called habituation, I will explain it in a moment, and another uh, technique uh, that we use in neuroscience, which is repetition attenuation, which I always <laughs> also will explain in a moment, that they are basically the same, but the literatures that cover habituation in children and repetition attenuation in the neuroscience never c- came together. So mm. people were kind mm-hmm. of doing uh, work in parallel, but they did not realize that they are, they are actually the same, only um, different people studied the same methodology for different purposes with different populations. And when I realized that, I thought, wow, um, this is a, a prime case of really good um, uh, interdisciplinary um, um, collaboration. So let me briefly point out what habituation is so often uh, we we cannot ask very young children um what they are thinking yeah so because they cannot speak yet <clears throat> so how do we know uh, what they know we know it um from um, their behavior and in particular from their eye movement because they move their eyes to where something interesting is happening and in particular where something new is happening yeah so mm, a typical habituation paradigm um, is for example that you Um, that you um, show them um, something, an an object, for example, um, of a particular um, category, and um, you repeat this over and over again. So uh, they lose interest um, in it because it's always the Mm -hmm. same. Um, So then at some point they look away and you can monitor their eye movements and um, can calculate how long they have looked at the object. So then next trial you show the same object again, child looks, is interested, but at some time, again, is not interested, looks away. And then there is this decrease in attention towards uh, that object, because they have encoded it now really, and they know what it is about. And then comes so that they have habituated, yeah, they got used to that object. Um, and then there are two test trials. One is you show the same old object again, or an object from the same category maybe, or you show a new object or an object from a new category. And then um, you again monitor how long they attend to these objects and um, if they have understood that, that the other object is really something new, that they make a, a difference between them, they would look longer at that object again. That is called the dishabituation yeah? um, Whereas they would look again shortly only at the repeated um, Old object, yeah. So this is a way in which we can tell without the child having to speak uh, that they understood there's a difference between these things and they clearly represent this difference in their mind. Okay, and that has been widely used um, in the infant literature. Now in the neuroscientific paradigm, um, repetition attenuation is something similar. You present a person um, who is maybe in the scanner or who has an EEG cap on, some object again, and then you uh, you see in the brain which areas are active, yeah. And um, if you present it again and again, the activation in that area um, becomes less. It is like in habituation, yeah. Um, and when you then show a new uh, thing, and then another area lights up, and um, that is then a sign that also in the brain different areas represent that object. It's called repetition attenuation because as you repeat the attention, attenuates, gets less. So the names are different, um, but the the phenomenon is the same. And in neuroscience, this is a very good technique to figure out um, where um, in the brain certain cognitive processes occur and you can really see it Uh, then you know the neural populations that are um, active when one or the other object is being used. And uh, so that's a great technique. And as I said, um, Turk Brown has figured out or has pointed out that there is this great convergence and cognitive science lives from the convergence of um, different strands of research coming together. And here it is uh, on the methodological level um, and often it is also on the content uh, level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much for pointing this out again and explaining it. Um, Sure. Well, we are an auditory format, so most people who are listening to the episode won't be able to see what we are seeing right now. Mm -hmm. But our guest, Dr. Annette Hohenberger, has a badge on her uh, jacket which says Science for Future. Well, I don't really know that much about it. I've heard Mm -hmm. about it and I know that you are associated with it, but could you Mm -hmm. maybe tell us what this group is doing and why it's so important to you. Yeah.
1: Okay, (laughs) so uh, while you may not be able to see me uh, I can tell you that the badge is on my left um, uh, um, sleeve here and um, it's close to my heart uh, and this is also my interest um, in it. So we are the Scientists for Future here at the regional uh, group in Osnabrück. So um, there are many regional groups all over um, Germany and also other places in in Europe and I'm engaged here. Um, So we Scientists for Future care about uh, the climate and um, biodiversity crisis and um, more generally the planetary um, uh, crisis in, in general. Um, we have uh, been founded in um, 2019, um, shortly after the, um, um, the um, Fridays for Future <laughs> founded uh, themselves in order to back them up with scientific information and to um, support um, our common uh, concern about uh, the climate and about um, um, nature, the Earth, um, because. As everybody, I think, in the meantime knows that we are in a very dire situation. There is the climate uh, crisis, temperatures are uh, raising, uh, CO2 emissions don't uh, drop, and we are really on a on a bad uh, trajectory at the moment if we uh, do not really uh, make a steep uh, turn and um, reduce our CO2 uh, emissions and uh, take care of uh, the planet in a better way. And this is something that the scientists for future do, um, so very practically here at the university. Um, people who are interested can join us and we are collaborating with um, the University of Applied Sciences as well so uh, we are jointly uh, together and we have a lecture um, series each uh, term we organize um, uh, six to seven uh, lectures with um, Um, experts on um, a variety of topics, so uh, political sciences, natural um, sciences, uh, psychology, um, health and so on, and um, they give public lectures. It's not just for an academic um, audience, but it's for everybody. It's actually for the citizens of um, uh, Osnabrück and everybody who wants to join it. Um, Um, it takes place in a in a big uh, lecture hall here at the university and it's also being recorded so (laughs) one can um, watch those um, uh, lectures afterwards and it's very well received by the people in Osnabrück Um, that's one of our flagship projects but we have other projects um, as well so I'm for example also engaged in um, um, education for sustainability we have now worked out um, a rough um, um, plan how we would like to instruct uh, teachers to instruct their students about uh, climate change um, because that's not um, um, sufficiently taught at the schools but it's very uh, important and of course we're doing many other uh, things as well um, so mainly informing um, uh, people about the c- uh, climate crisis give um, yeah scientific um, information Inform um, people and also show um, what what we can do, what each of us can do individually, but also as a group. Because it's not enough just to switch off the uh, uh, the light more often <laughs> in the dining room in the evening. Um, that will not uh, going to save the world. Um, but we have to get uh, together, collaborate, um, join up in groups, exert pressure on um, politicians, but also on um, other um, um, parties involved, parties, stakeholders, and uh, that's a big movement. And I'm really very happy uh, to be in that movement. It's completely open. We are not an organization. We are a grassroots mm-hmm. uh, movement uh, with some structures, of course, but uh, we are not um, uh, some um, fully organized um, yeah, organization and Yeah, it's very dear to my heart because um, if you relate to my research, so I'm a cognitive developmentalist, I'm interested in how children grow up and how their cognition unfolds and all this is very beautiful for me. But um, if we don't care about the future of the planet, how can we then care uh, about the cognitive development of children? So these things go hand in hand, there's not academic research um, and it's totally decoupled from what is going on in the world. On the contrary, it's embedded, Yeah, and I, I can't d- follow my research um, about um, child development if I don't um, make, um, make sure that they have a future into which they can develop. And that's something really existential and therefore um, um, this is um, a, a great engagement um, that I am doing.
0: You've mentioned that you are in the group in Osnabrück. Mm-hmm. Um, are there also groups in other cities? So for yeah. listeners who are not in Osnabrück, mm-hmm. can they also look for the science for future um, their city, or is it just Germany, is it international?
1: Uh, no, it is international, um, but um, I'm most knowledgeable about our yes. um, German structure, of course, and um, maybe not at each university, but um, at many university, there are regional groups and uh, you can just Google for them. Um, we have a common format, we, are, um, we have a um, common yeah, um, domain, let's say, uh, where you can find us. So if you Google for Um, Scientists for Future in Osnabrück. you will come to our web page and there you can see um, our projects, what we are doing, the lectures um, and all this information and if you are at any other place you can visit their websites and um, get to know and and engage um, also in their work.
0: Yeah we will definitely add the show notes, add the links to the show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah thank you very much for pointing this important topic out because I often feel like as a topic close to many people's hearts, but mm-hmm. it's really hard to get into it. And often, at least I feel like, well, I don't even know where to start. So it's really yeah. good mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. that there's a group where I can join easily and just learn things about yeah. climate and climate protection. Yeah. So thank you very much. <laughs> I thank you. Well, that we also come to the end of our interview. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time and talking to us today. and really happy to learn things from people who are experienced in one area so thank you very much for being here yeah i thank you for having me (laughs) when you enjoy listening to us the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app this could either be google podcast spotify or apple podcast another good way to support us is by following our instagram account which is called Kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palme and Sönke Löw, produced by Alina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palme, Sönke Löw, and Sophie Kühne, produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan-Lukas Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter.
2: Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.